It's holiday time during the 1980s. The school workload begins to slow and you start to count down the days until the holiday break. You spend time flipping through things like the Sears Wish Book or a consumer's distributing catalog, circling the gifts of your dreams, hoping someone will come across them. Holiday movies and specials are starting to play on TV. Classics like A Charlie Brown Christmas and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer are beloved favorites, but new offerings are being released that will also stay with us for decades. And everywhere you go, music for the holiday season fills the stores, streets, and radios. But what were some of those best-selling albums that created the soundtrack for the holidays? I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast that looks back on a decade that forever changed the way we dress, consumed, and connected. And on today's journey, I take you back to the holidays of yesteryear. This is Christmas in the 80s. This will be an episode told in two parts, some Christmas movies and Christmas music. And we start with the movies. On this podcast, I've covered a lot of classic 1980s Christmas movies. I even have a previous episode where I count down the 10 best. Scrooge, A Christmas Story, Die Hard, Christmas Vacation. There are many beloved favorites we return to year after year. What is it about 1980s movies and 80s holiday movies that are so unique? Nostalgia plays a big part, and they may appeal more to you if you grew up during this time period. But many other generations and decades have discovered many of these classics. But what about modern iterations that look back on the decade we love so much? Well, there's a recent movie that has captured the essence of Christmas in the 80s, and that is the movie 8-Bit Christmas. 8-Bit Christmas stars Neil Patrick Harris as Jake Doyle, and he's telling his daughter the story about the Christmas of around 1987 or 1988. This was the time when he, like so many other kids, wanted the newest entry to the world of video games, the iconic Nintendo Entertainment System. It was also the year where his sister wanted a real Cabbage Patch Kid. Set in Chicago, we see how Jake and his friends want nothing more than an NES and will do anything just to be able to play one. 8-Bit Christmas obviously captures a lot of 1980s nostalgia and we see things like Casio watches, Goonie posters, and Trapper Keepers. But 8-Bit Christmas pays homage to some 80s holiday classics, specifically A Christmas Story from 1983, where little Ralphie wants a Red Ryder BB gun more than anything, in the same way Jake is desperate for an NES. And there's an interesting parallel between these two movies, as 8-Bit Christmas, which came out in 2021, is set decades prior in the 80s, similar to how A Christmas Story, released in 1983, is set decades prior in the 40s. And 8-Bit Christmas also doesn't specify the exact years, saying it was around 1987 or 1988, in the same way A Christmas Story isn't set in any specific year. Many think A Christmas Story is set around 1941, but it could possibly be 1939. The point is here, there is a lot of value in 1980s nostalgia, and movies like 8-Bit Christmas look to capture this time period and pay tribute to it, not unlike the way Stranger Things, Cobra Kai, or 
another holiday offering, A Christmas Story Christmas has two. Then there are the reboots like Say by the Bell, Fraggle Rock, The Dark Crystal, Willow, Masters of the Universe, Ninja Turtles, Transformers Movies, Voltron, 21 Jump Street, Fuller House, Ghostbusters. There is a lot of power, and let's be honest, money specifically with the 1980s. You may like the originals best, but you might also enjoy seeing these modern offerings like 8-Bit Christmas that capture the holiday essence of classics like A Christmas Story, but for a new generation. And speaking of A Christmas Story, the house from this beloved holiday favorite has become a thing of legend in its own right. Even though the movie is set in Indiana, the actual house is located at 3159 West 11th Street in Cleveland, Ohio. A lot of scenes were also filmed here in Canada, around Toronto and St. Catharines, Ontario. The house itself dates all the way back to 1895 and was set to be demolished before it was bought in 2004 by Brian Jones for just $150,000. Jones, a huge fan of the movie, spent years restoring it back to the way we know it in the movie. Then he opened it up to the public. There is also a Christmas Story Museum across the street, and the owner also bought the neighboring Bumpus House and created an exact replica of the Ford LaFrance fire truck used in the movie. This house has become a major tourist attraction and, according to TripAdvisor, attracts around 75,000 visitors a year. Some figures state the number may be closer to 100,000, but either way, This movie has touched a lot of people, and they want to see part of it for themselves. You even have the option to stay overnight. The prices vary depending on the time of year, but for $545 per night, you can actually sleep in Ralphie and Randy's beds. Or, if you have about $3,500 to spare, you can book the entire house for Christmas Eve and wake up there Christmas morning. If you ever get to visit this iconic house, you may run into people like Rob Zombie or Duff McKagan from Guns N' Roses who have reportedly paid a visit. And as of the time of this recording, the Christmas Story House is now up for sale. So if you're a huge fan of A Christmas Story and have a lot of money, you can look into purchasing the house and museum and relive a Christmas classic the whole year. But it's not the holidays without the music, and that brings us to our next section. I mentioned how the movies of the 1980s seem to strike a unique chord, and that's a perfect play on words to describe 1980s holiday music. You may prefer the Christmas music of the 80s if that's what you grew up with, but again, it may be more far-reaching than that. NME.com, the British music and pop culture website, published an article in 2014 that shared the results of a poll from the UK. It revealed that the 1980s is people's preferred decade for Christmas music. The 1980s were top at 36%, while decades like the 50s and 60s followed with 7 and 5% respectively. Sam Sutton, a senior lecturer in music technology from the London College of Music, says that the holiday music of the 80s has, quote, distinctive festive musical elements. These generate emotional resonance and carry the listener on a wave of feel-good nostalgia, unquote. 
When it comes to the best-selling Christmas singles in history, one of the most competitive categories in all of music, a song from the 1980s even makes the top 10, and that is Last Christmas by Wham. Last Christmas, which I used to hate but now love more than anything, comes in at number 10 amongst heavyweight songs like Jingle Bell Rock, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, and All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. You may not know of an earlier version of All I Want for Christmas is You, but this version was released in 1989 by the alliteratively named Vince Vance and the Valiants. But when it comes to the best-selling physical Christmas singles of all time, the 1980s dominate the top 10, as back then, we really loved to buy cassettes, and even some vinyl still. If you were a child of the 1980s and had access to a mall, you know what a big event it was going to the mall during the holiday season. You were off of school and had nothing but time to kill, and that meant hours at the mall. And a required stop while holiday shopping was always the record store. Kids, you may have to ask your parents what a record store was. Your holiday music shopping may have been at a Tower Records or Sam Goody. Here in Canada, we had Sunrise Records, A&A-N, Sam the Record Man. In the UK, you may have hit up HMV, Virgin, or Our Price. It could have been Brashes or Sanity in Australia, Farmers, Sounds Unlimited, or True Tone in New Zealand. But wherever you lived, we loved physical albums in the 80s. But we really didn't have any other choice. One of my favorite gifts each year was always getting a multi-pack of blank cassette tapes. These offered so much possibility for what you could create with them. One could turn into a mixtape for someone you liked. You could copy an album from a friend on your dual cassette recorder via high-speed dubbing. Or you could compile the top 40 music from the radio, especially if you were quick with the trigger finger to start just after the DJ stopped talking. But music was a huge part of Christmas in the 80s. When it comes to all-time sales of physical Christmas singles, number one on the list, compiled by the Recording Industry Association of America, is Blue Christmas by Elvis from 1964. But the rest of the top five is dominated by the 80s. Number two is This One's For The Children slash Funky Funky Xmas by New Kids On The Block from 1989. Number three is Santa Claus is Coming to Town by Bruce Springsteen from 1985. Number four is Do They Know It's Christmas slash Feed the World by Band-Aid from 1984. And at number five, also from 1984, is the seminal Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer by Elmo and Patsy. I would have thought Do They Know It's Christmas would have been the best-selling physical single of the 80s. But it turns out those new kids on the block sold a lot of cassette tapes, most of which were probably bought by my sister. And all of this leads us into one of the most bizarre Christmas albums of all time, and it came right at the start of the 80s. Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? 
Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. If you are a longtime listener of this show, you know my fascination with the infamous Star Wars Holiday Special, aka one of the worst things that ever aired on TV. I have a previous episode devoted to it, but in case you don't know about this thing, the Star Wars Holiday Special was a two-hour variety musical special featuring the Star Wars characters that aired on CBS in the late 70s. The plot of this thing is Chewbacca having to get back to his home planet in time to celebrate the Wookiee holiday, Life Day. That's it. That's the entire plot that had to fill two hours of absolute absurdity. It was going into the 80s and beyond that the holiday special would find an audience through bootleg VHS tapes and eventually upload it online. And this hilarious train wreck of a show, after enough viewings, actually begins to grow on you. But it is still a beloved disaster, and even though George Lucas wants nothing to do with it, the Star Wars Holiday Special is now official canon in the Star Wars universe, with mentions of Life Day in shows like The Mandalorian. The Star Wars Holiday Special also features the very first appearance of Boba Fett, but it is still absurd. And... There is another. There is an even lesser-known Star Wars entry that falls into the absurd holiday category once reserved just for the holiday special, and that is Christmas in the Stars, a Star Wars Christmas album. That's the entire title. You may have never heard of this thing, but this is a very real album that was released in November 1980, and, like the holiday special, was riding the Star Wars wave of popularity to strike while the iron was hot. The TV special was used to keep Star Wars in the public's mind between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back, and this album served a similar role when it came out about six months after Empire. Basically, it was a way to continue to cash in on Star Wars and capitalize on the holiday season while we waited for more Star Wars content. They had combined Star Wars and the holidays before. Maybe the second time was a charm. This album features original Christmas songs and ones that contain new lyrics to familiar Christmas melodies. There's a kind of feeling when you sing a melody and another person sings along in Some of the song titles are R2-D2, We Wish You a Merry Christmas, The Odds Against Christmas, and What Can You Get a Wookiee for Christmas, parentheses, When He Already Owns a Comb. I think with that last one, they were trying to create a modern hit in the vein of I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas. But What Can You Get a Wookiee for Christmas actually hit number 69 on the Billboard Top 100. There are various sound effects to replicate the sounds of R2-D2 and other droids, and there is a theme to this album. We learn about a droid factory that makes toys year-round, but the droids don't know what to make of Christmas until it's explained to them by R2-D2 and C-3PO. And it's C-3PO, voiced by Anthony Daniels, that really drives and carries this entire album. 
Daniels was not a singer, but uses a spoken word speak singing style, similar to Rex Harrison in My Fair Lady. In a 2014 interview with the CBC, Daniels said how he flew to New York from London on the Concorde, drank champagne, and went right into the studio with barely any rehearsal. He recorded again the next day until 3 p.m., jumped back on the Concorde to England, and went straight back into rehearsals for a play he was doing in London. The thing is, there was some real talent behind this album. Murray Yeston, who went on to be a Tony Award-winning Broadway composer, produced and wrote a lot of the songs. And he didn't have a lot of time. Yeston said in that interview with the CBC that he only started working on it in the fall of 1980 to get it out in time for November. Ideally, they wanted the main cast, including Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and Mark Hamill to sing on it, aka Han Solo, Princess Leia, and Luke Skywalker. But they weren't singers. Which is kind of confusing because Carrie Fisher actually sings at the end of the Star Wars Holiday Special. Frank Oz was reportedly going to sing the song The Meaning of Christmas as Yoda, but wasn't able to as he was in England performing as Miss Piggy. Just in case that is new to you, the great Frank Oz performed and provided the voices for the characters of Yoda, Miss Piggy, Gonzo, Bert, Grover, Animal, and Fozzie Bear, just to name a few. Daniels would be the only talent from the original cast to perform. But there would be another performer on this album that went on to dominate 1980s rock. The co-producer and engineer of Christmas in the Stars was named Tony Bongiovi, spelt B-O-N-G-I-O-V-I. He had produced some legendary bands like the Ramones and Talking Heads. He also had a teenage second cousin trying to get into the music industry named John, who shared the same last name. That's right, an 18-year-old John Bon Jovi actually appears on this album, four years before he changed Bon Jovi to Bon Jovi. The Star Wars Christmas album marks Bon Jovi's very first professional recording, as he appears on the song R2-D2, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Bon Jovi also wrote the song The Odds Against Christmas. Christmas in the Stars, a Star Wars album produced by RSO Records, was recorded at the legendary Power Studios in New York, where a who's who of musical royalty have recorded. Artists like Bruce Springsteen, Cyndi Lauper, James Taylor, Duran Duran, Diana Ross, The Rolling Stones, The Clash, and David Bowie are just a few to have recorded there. And the Power Station is the studio that Star Wars built as it probably wouldn't have existed without the legendary movie, and a song. After A New Hope was a hit, Tony Bon Jovi recorded a disco club version of the Star Wars theme that was an enormous hit and went on to sell over 2 million copies. Because both the movie and single were a hit, they helped to fund the building of the legendary power station. George Lucas was also apparently more hands-on with this project, and his approval was needed on everything. Lucas had been pretty burned by the holiday special, which he had left up to other people, and it seemed to have taught him to be more vigilant with his intellectual property. This album is an amazing combination of the Star Wars universe and some of the things we associate with modern Christmas, like trees, sleigh bells, presents, and even features Santa Claus's son for some reason. 
But even though Star Wars is set a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, there are still other references to Earth with mentions of H.G. Wells, America, the Magna Carta, Einstein's theory of relativity, cows, horses, and Japanese language. It's probably safe to say that Christmas in the Stars, a Star Wars album, is not Star Wars canon. The cover of this Christmas album was even painted by the legendary production artist Ralph McQuarrie, who conceived and created a lot of the Star Wars imagery and background set paintings from the original movies. It was McQuarrie's early paintings that helped George Lucas sell the idea of a space opera to 20th Century Fox. But there is a holiday charm to this album, and it features some great production and musical arrangements as long as you can get past Bon Jovi singing to R2-D2. But possibly the most fascinating thing about Christmas in the Stars, a Star Wars Christmas album? According to Billboard, it was the best-selling Christmas album of 1980. So with that in mind, what were the best-selling Christmas albums of each year for the rest of the decade? We return to the Record Industry Association of America for official stats. After 1991, that changed to the Nielsen SoundScan tracking system. After the Star Wars Christmas album, the next few years in the 80s were dominated by country music Christmas albums. In 1981, the number one Christmas album was Christmas by Kenny Rogers. In 1982, it was the same album title called Christmas, this time by the Oak Ridge Boys. In 1983, we're back to Kenny Rogers, as his bestseller from 1981 was again the best-selling Christmas album of 1983. And he does it again in 1984, this time teaming up with Dolly Parton to record that year's best-selling album, Once Upon a Christmas. We switch things up in 1985, but still keep that country theme going with Alabama Christmas by Alabama. In 1986, George Strait had the best-selling Christmas album with Merry Christmas Straight to You. Get it? In 1987, we got one of the most iconic Christmas albums ever, and that was a variety of artists contributing to the album A Very Special Christmas. This was a project created by producer Jimmy Iovine, who wanted to create a tribute to his father. And this album that became an instant classic gave us not only some of the defining Christmas songs of the 80s, but ever. Here are just a few of the tracks from this legendary album, which has been certified quadruple platinum. There is Winter Wonderland by the Eurythmics, Santa Claus is Coming to Town by the Pointer Sisters, Merry Christmas Baby by Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, Santa Baby by Madonna, Run Rudolph Run by fellow Canadian Brian Adams, and my personal favorite, Christmas in Hollis by the Beatles of hip-hop, Run DMC. In 1988, there was a unique entry, and that was Mannheim Steamroller with their album, A Fresh Air Christmas. They also had the second best-selling Christmas album of 1984. If you're not familiar with Mannheim Steamroller, this is a U.S. New Age neoclassical group that used synthetic sounds mixed with some rock. They have released several big Christmas albums that contain a lot of new interpretations of classical Christmas songs and carols. And rounding out the decade, 
We go full boy band with Danny, Donnie, Jonathan, Jordan, and Joey, better known as New Kids on the Block, and their album, Merry, Merry Christmas. So that was Christmas in the 80s, a time of beloved movies and music that became staple parts of the holiday season for millions of people. So if you like this show, be sure to subscribe so you get the shows automatically added on your podcast listening app of choice. If you're feeling generous, you can give the show a five-star rating and review as that helps more people discover these topics we all love from the 80s. And if you're looking for some more 80s content, you can consider becoming a part of Patreon.com. That's the platform to get bonus audio content, including things like the Everything 80s Movie Review Podcast, where I just reviewed a movie I covered here today, A Christmas Story. So if you want to check that out or learn more, you can head to patreon.com slash 80s, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash 80s, or click the link in the show description. But thank you so much for listening. I know there are a million podcasts out there, but the fact you're here listening to this one means so much to me. And whatever you do this holiday season, I hope you get to spend time with the people you care about and enjoy the traditions that are special to you. So I'm Jamie. And this has been Everything 80s.